Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? It's Coach Freddy, and we're just outside of Asheville, North Carolina at Franny's Farm, participating in the Hemp Hootenanny 2018, and I'm having a conversation with a few special people. All right, we can start with a couple of questions. Anybody want to go first out there? Can I just start off? Sure. Franny, I'm Jason with AshVegas.com here in Asheville. Can you just build off what you're saying about your baby plants? It sounds like you know them intimately, and I'm just curious what your experience has been over the past couple of years, what you've learned about growing them? Do they really grow like a weed? Are they persnickety in any ways? Um, just to talk a little bit more about the personality and what you've learned from farming here. So I've got to thank Mike Lewis here too. He was my mentor last year and last year was the first year we could plant in North Carolina legally. So we were way under the gun. By, by the time it all got passed where we could grow to get permits, to source the seed, we planted way late and we grew a Futura 75 variety for fiber. And so it was a very, very different grow. We're part of this NC State research project and when we did fiber, we did all this by hand. So what we did, it used a plow to plow the fields. We did it very minimally. We wanted to use like baseline because the real passion is rural communities. I believe we can reinvigorate rural communities and this can be a small farm crop. So we're like, what's it going to do? No irrigation, fertilization. Let's plant it and watch it grow. Let's plant it a month late and watch it grow. So for the fiber varieties, um, we want it to be tall and narrow, no lateral branching. We got that. We did. It was probably 18 inches, a foot to 18 inches less in height than we would have expected. We learned a lot of interesting things just by watching the growth and watching the weather. They do not like wet feet, okay? Hemp does not like to be too wet. So um, some of the first to germinate because it had water was also the first that, that we lost in some flooding. This year, we're super excited. We're growing um, a different variety. We're growing a cherry wine variety that we source from East Coast Genetics. And we're also growing a different um, cherry wine, cherry mom, cherry uno type of variety that we got from Bioregion. Um, and this is very, very different. This plant, we're growing an individual plant, very, very different purpose. We're growing for the CBD, so we want lateral branching and floral parts and there's we've got a couple other people here that are going to be growing with us i see a nate in the back if you could raise your hand so he's going to be doing an indoor grow which will also be very different than what we're doing on the outdoor grow but for the outdoor grow is 
so important that we are connected and paying attention to a lot of things that we deal with in Mother Nature. We're in inside, obviously you can control those things. So me personally, this is why I'm a great dirt farmer, is because I kind of love to be out of control and having to look at other things to guide me along the way instead of planning everything out in the greenhouse. That's why we've got scientists <laughs> on our team. Um, so we're very excited about this growth. There's much more spacing, everything different. So did I answer yeah. your question yeah. or do you have a follow-up? That's great. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Anybody, anyone else? Yes, in the back. Hey, I'm Andrew Rainey with Asphalt Fountain Community Radio in West Asheville. Um, kind of, Mike, maybe directed uh, for you at the moment, but I'd be interested to hear anyone's comment. Um, I'm curious about the, the prospect of hemp also being grown as a monoculture. It looks like it has lots of different uses, but uh, in terms of invigorating a rural uh, economic system, uh, the danger possibly of it being bought out if economically profitable and also being controlled in a similar uh, instance, or being grown as a monoculture, um, or have you found it helpful to grow with other plants specifically and see it working in a larger context? Um, I, I think that we, we don't have to worry about it becoming a monoculture. It will become a, uh, not a monoculture, but it'll fit in one of those tri-cultures. That, you know, it'll fit in a corn and soybean rotation. Um, <clears throat> I probably won't go too much into that because I may offend some other sensibilities than my own, but um, yeah, so I mean I think that that's going to happen. I think that what we have and what's unique about this situation is we have an opportunity to take the diversity of that plan. That's a lot of the work that we've been doing in Kentucky is working on long-term crop rotation cycles that fit hemp in its various different production uses because each production cycle takes a different amount of time so how does hemp fit in a five to seven year crop rotation and how does it work with us building soil ecology and microecology so so the answer uh, not to answer your question but to say it will become a conventional monoculture and it will fit in those ecosystems but we have a tremendous opportunity to take this crop like Franny has and use it for its three or four different aspects in one rotation on a farm and drive higher value revenues back to us. So it's sort of, in my perspective, in my work, it's sort of a hinge, a cornerstone crop to stability because of its diversity. But of, of course you're not going to stop, stop the, the commoditization and the scale up of it. I mean, we're, we're already competing against Canadian commodity agriculture. Um, is that the, the, the greatest thing? No, I mean, that's, that's the problem with agriculture is that it is a monoculture, but I, I, you know, it's not my, I guess it's not my, my job to speak out against it, it's not my job to, to determine the alternatives, thankfully. <laughs> so, I will add one more thing on, on this farming perspective, and like I said, part of our mission in doing this small scale is to determine how well this fits into a sustainability model for an entire farm. So we've had our farm and been farming and we just introduced hemp last year into our crops. So it's beautiful. Last year we ended up using the fiber variety. We use it for animal bedding. We fed our animals and grazed our sheep on it after we had harvested it. So it really fits into this model. Even as we go into our fields, we've got a cover, a buckwheat cover crop that we're putting in between the rows and it rehabilitates land. 
So there is a lot of ways that it can fit into a sustainable farming practice and be used by the farmers on the farm to feed livestock, to use for animal bedding, to heal the land. It's, so I think it's a great, because we've got a lot of diversity here, how well it fits in to everything. Know your farmer. <laughs> Another question on there? So I'm, uh, I'm with Blue Ridge Public Radio, and my question, I guess, what is the conversation among farmer to farmer? So if you're talking to another farmer who's not a hemp farmer, and you're trying to pitch, or they're just asking you, so what is that, and, and how do you sell hemp as a crop in the farming community? I know there's lots of efforts to do that, but within the farming community very cautiously that's a great question and it's it's an interesting conversation because you have like over here we did this great job for the last five years lobbying and talking about how awesome this was going to be and how we needed to free the farmers hands and we, we set such a high expectation that now we have to what I feel like 90% of the job is now managing expectations you know the expectation that I'm just going to plant this crop and all of a sudden people are going to give me money I mean this is still farming this is still <laughs> this is still work you know switching from corn to hemp or you know in my case switching from soy to hemp or what, whatever you know or adding it into a rotation doesn't isn't going to save the farm it isn't gonna, it, it's going to definitely make it more viable. It's going to give you more opportunities to communicate. But, I mean, you really, you have to tell them that it's not a silver bullet because I feel like that's what we do. I mean, I, I'm not picking on Eric. He's just sitting beside me. <laughs> <laughs> but because he is, let's pick on him. So, <laughs> no, I mean, we did this great job. Like, this is an amazing problem. This has done so much for my farm. I mean, 65% of my farm income now comes from industrial hemp. And it's not from a monoculture. It's not from a fiber or a CBD or a grain specific. It's from all crops. And I can tell you the value of that crop in a rotation, but you know, the expectation of what the, the industry or the investment side of the industry, I think, is the biggest narrative that we now have to create this is this is great it's a wonderful crop how does it fit responsibly in your farm because what I run into is I've got a thousand acres I'm gonna plant a thousand acres of hemp well that's a monoculture we got a problem there you know um, <clears throat> so managing expectations is I think the, the hardest challenge that I have with farmers farmers are very interested I mean you know dairy farmers are taking the dairy and tobacco farmers are are taking the brunt of hits right now. In Kentucky, we lost 10,000 farmers in the last four years. 65% of those were new and beginning farmers. So when you introduce a new crop like hemp, my, I mean, you wouldn't believe my email inbox. I mean, it, and it's not, I mean, it's just because there's something that's gonna help my farm, I, I want to do it. And it seems like we, we've constantly chased, like I, know, I don't know what it was, but Gary could probably help me with some of the North Carolina stuff. Like in Kentucky, it was bell peppers, and then it was, some other thing that was going to save the farm and farmers jump in to that and I think our job is to make sure that they jump in responsibly because we don't want to give a black eye to all that great work that we did, <laughs> did over the last five years by running farmers off. Yeah, if I could just add a little bit to that. Um, the, uh, I got a call literally two days ago from a farmer in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma just passed legislation and they're all excited there. And this farmer started telling me how he was going to grow 100 acres and, and his buddy was going to grow 1,000 and I just went, 
hold on. I said, who's telling you this? Where are you going to get the seed and all this? I started asking questions. And the first thing I usually tell farmers is, you know, look, you need a contract and you need to make sure that the people you're dealing with are reputable before you do anything. And I still recommend that a farmer start small. You know, plant five acres. Don't plant 500 because it does take some time to learn how to grow this crop. Uh, Franny mentioned wet feet. There's various different things. When do you plant it? How, you know, all those things. It takes some time to learn it. And so we try really hard to tell farmers, you know, if you're going to get into this market, do it carefully, do it responsibly. Like Mike said, we have created a lot of demand now. There's more farmers coming in, but this is still a small market. Total acreage in the United States in 2017 was about 25,000 acres. That is so tiny in the big picture of agriculture. There's single farmers that are planting that much, that much in one year on corn or soy. So it's not a commodity either. You can't go to the exchange and sell it, like Mike said. So I think it's, it's critical that we get that message out and that people start small. And I'd like to add one more thing. So this is what is so great about how we're all representatives. So as somebody from smaller scale farming and a sustainable farm, and all the education that my husband Blake and I have been doing all around this state, I like to ask the farmers, like, are you eating hemp? Are you wearing hemp? Have you ever tried any of the products? If you're going to grow, go create the market. Learn the market. Start small, but you need to understand because right now there's so much focus just on CBD. That's not the beginning and end. There's a lot of opportunity here, but we need to be creating the market. So, and it's just a different perspective of along with everything else they're saying. Because I understand where the farmers are coming from. They just want to save their farm. They want to be able to keep that in their family and pass it on. And that's what motivates us. Um, but I think it's a different perspective that farmers aren't used to hearing because they're so used to just like crops, crop science, how do we plant it, what do we do? And I was like, you need to think bigger picture and you need to support the industry in every way which get on vote hemp. Are you politically active? Are you voting with your dollars? Are you creating the market? So I think that's also something that's a woman a lot of times offers that perspective on too. It's bigger. It's bigger. <laughs> Any other questions out there? Jill? Oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Paul. Paul, please. Go ahead. Uh, I'm Paul. I'm with uh, Madison County's Weekly Newspaper, the News Record Sentinel. Uh, it is a small Christian community um, in Madison County. Um, I was wondering whether are you having to have conversations with people that maybe get confused about hemp and marijuana and I mean uh, both the rural communities that you are from I'm, I'm interested in those, those conversations. Yeah so I have a, a, a granny. I'll tell a quick funny story because uh, the hell I'm a storyteller. Um, my, uh, we, we put my son in his wedding list. He was really kind of a school that we couldn't afford. We'd saved all this money to get him into school. And he was on the waiting list for two years. And he got into school the same week that we got to plant hemp on our farm. And uh, my wife's granny, who is uh, from one of those small <laughs> communities was livid um, and he spent the weekend down there and um, he, he took him to school with the granny and I took him to school on Monday and the principal of the school called me and was like hey uh, we're gonna need you to come in here 
and so I, I go into the school, and uh, of course my my three it was three at the time. My three-year-old son is running around telling all of his classmates that his daddy's a pot farmer. <laughs> his daddy is a damn pot farmer. Um, so <laughs> the answer is yes, it happens. But what I find is it's it's a really easy thing to overcome. I mean, when you you know you take a stock. I know right now the first thing I would do is like, yeah, I'm growing pot, and I would take a stock and I would braid a piece of rope and be like, here you go, Granny, and the conversation's over. Because Granny used to make shit, I mean stuff, and Granny knows, <laughs> you know, Granny knows, and she makes that connect. and as soon as I made that connection with her, and she realized that we were talking about textiles, we were talking about yarn, we're not, you know, we're not talking about pot, it, it kind of went away. Um, but I still see it a lot. I mean, in our county, we see it. I mean, I, you know, we have churches that will put up little, little signs, you know, against what we're doing, but, I mean, it's, it, if there if there's sense and there's an easy delivery, it, it's an easy argument to overcome. It, it wasn't. It's not something I feel a lot of pressure to solve in rural religious communities. I just want to share that in my time in Tennessee, I'm originally from Tennessee, but now living in Phoenix, Arizona. The legislator that actually ran the hemp bill in, in the state of Tennessee was the most in evangelical uh, Christian uh, representative in the in the state delegation and I thought that was really interesting but he would go around office to office and me and my intern Clint Palmer would come along and he would go in and he'd say this is God's plan and he would flip the script and that was part of his leading in to that conversation and um, I was really fascinated with his courage to do that because I think we all expected it to be a tough conversation to have um, and also bringing up the history of the plant was also something that was sort of in our toolkit when we start talking about colonial days and the use of it and how it's been documented and um, how it helped in the war efforts, you know, really appealing to all these ways where hemp was a real virtuous commodity that we have used for hundreds of years and it's just been only in the last 80 or so that we started to conflate it with all of cannabis varieties because of THC. I mean, let's be honest, that's it. We, we're missing out on so much when we're not having the broader conversation. So I was really happy to serve with um, Representative Jeremy Faison in Tennessee, who is very evangelical and really wants to talk about God, and he wants to talk about cannabis. And uh, I love it. Um, and uh, my father is also a, a former colonel and commander in the Air Force, and as soon as I told him what I was about to do, in 2013 and go citizen lobby for hemp in Tennessee he was very confused and and almost as I would have expected from somebody who was evangelical did not understand the differences and was really quite upset with me in the beginning um, but I had to do the same thing pull out the history books which they're not the history books more like go to the internet and find the history because it hasn't been documented you know in, in, a, in a way that we might expect from people who are learning and going through the school system We've lost that, but we, we should reclaim it, and that's what this campaign tries to do year over year. So, yeah, um, I, I always like to talk about, hey, Christians, we got to get together on how this is a plant that heals people, it feeds people, it makes things, and, um, and hemp is, is a, a wonderful conversation. Yeah. I want to applaud after that. So, I have a funny story about this group because when I approached my amazing husband and said, hey baby, 
Let's go now. He's just looked at me and rolled his eyes. He's like, what are you into now? He said, I said, it passed. It passed. Last night. We can do it. And he's like, we have worked so hard to build trust in our community. And, you know, because we're new here. We've been here almost six years. So he's like, we, we can't do that. I said, trust me, baby. Trust me. Everybody, we'll teach them all. They will all fall in line. It'll be fine. It's just common sense. And he said, common sense is not common. I don't know. I mean, the number one person I had to sell who did know the difference was my husband. And I was like, so what? I was, you've got to talk to him about this experience. Because it's a really, really a funny story. And just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, everybody knows now. Everybody knows. Well, everybody I know does know. And they all know the difference now. And I heard a story that my best friend, who's also my fitness trainer and keeps me whole so I can work hard, was schooling a group of people in the gym about what the difference was. They were like, Barbara Franny, she's out there growing weed. And she was like, no, she's not. And so now the story continues, and that's what is so important that we are all doing is continuing this education. What's that? Crazy weed growers. I, I know. <laughs> and I was just talking to Ryan the other day, and I was like, you know, people still kind of make fun about it. They're like, Franny used to be a drug dealer, and now she's growing drugs. <laughs> and I was like, come on now. Come on. I know you think it's funny, but... Let's, let's be real about this. This is important that you know. And that is where my mom, who didn't know the difference, has gone out and she is a proponent, has tried every product, and is a big educator. So that is what we're doing. There is some confusion. God's face it. People, there's, there's confusion. It works in but, your favor, though, sometimes. Well, yeah, because it's the only time people are listening oh, to me. I got all the tops off. Like, everybody thought it was weed, and they came and cut all the tops off my plants, which saved me like a day worth of work. <laughs> and I know I'm not on stage, but I want to add one more thing. When Franny and I were at Mother Earth uh, News Fair a few weeks ago, a guy walked up to us and says, I'm from North Carolina, and I'm thinking about growing hemp, but people in my church say I shouldn't. And I said, where do you live? And he told me. And I said, and so-and-so is your legislator? And he said, yeah, he's in my church. And I said, well, he voted for the bill. <laughs> <laughs> so remind everybody in your church, the guy in pew eight is the reason that I can grow him. And it's really true. They passed this bill in North Carolina so we could grow him. So like Franny and I tell everybody, own it. Own it. That's what it's all about. You're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. All right, we got any more questions out there? Uh, yeah, just kind of continuing that conversation of um, you know, distinctions and kind of history between marijuana specifically and hemp as a textile or otherwise. Um, I don't know that I'm totally educated on this space, but my understanding with the, the criminalization uh, was that it, it was a, a tool of which to um, take on in different parts that. Uh, uh, allowed control of various of population and specifically you see it now in, with uh, imprisonment in the black community. I wonder if, if hemp growing right now, um, as this is going on, if there's proponents to kind of give money to look at systemic racism and how the history that has 
uh, criminalized hemp specifically is going back in in that larger conversation. But just, I mean, yeah, so you're, so when you get into the history of hemp, right, in the 30s, marijuana was made uh, a first initially taxed substance so they could control it, and they didn't understand. They did, they did understand. There were farmers and various people that testified and said, hey, I'm growing this as hemp, we're not smoking it or whatever, but they didn't know what THC was. They hadn't identified how to distinguish the plants and that type of thing. And so hemp really got caught up in this. I don't think there was, you know, the initial hearings were more about marijuana. They weren't really saying, hey, we don't want these farmers growing, growing hemp. And they actually told farmers they could still grow it. They just had to now, you know, apply for a, you know, a permit and pay a tax and get a stamp that said producer of marijuana, which was like a stigma. So, um, you know, if you look at that history, in any case, I, I don't know if anybody in the hemp industry yet is working on systemic race, you know, uh, dealing with systemic racism. I feel like hemp has kind of gotten thrown under the bus with the marijuana policy, and maybe that's something that has to be dealt with a little bit more in the larger picture of cannabis reform related to marijuana. Well, I think there's a there's a, a, a larger subjugation issue, right? If we go back, uh, we we all as hemp hemp guys like to or hemp guys and gals now. I'll stay and you can kick me. <laughs> um, speaking of subjugation and um, respect for people's values, jeez. So, um, you know, if you go back to Thomas Jefferson, who we all like to quote, I mean, one of the one of the often used quotes is a small family farmer is the most valuable citizen, right? And this was one of the things that got me very excited about industrial hemp. And so that's a little snippet that we use, but that was a letter, that quote, that letter was to then uh, the, the agriculture commissioner of, of the equivalent of the agriculture commissioner in Washington. And he was writing about the fact that for people to actually be free, they have to be able to clothe, feed, and provide themselves. And this is why the small farmers are the most valuable citizens, because you can't control me. And he said in this letter, when the government controls the food supply, they control the people. And so what you saw with industrial hemp, from my perspective, and it got me really excited about it, is as this was happening, as, as the, the reform laws were coming in in the 30s, you had these two schools of thought about how the Industrial Revolution would move forward. You had, um, you know, the, the corporate capital, the industrialists, the Rockefellers, the Hearst, but you also had Henry Ford over here advocating for a green biological economy and growing a car. So I made this very interesting correlation very early on that this was just about controlling what happens on a farm and you know our security is directly dependent upon our ability to feed ourselves and it became kind of interesting that hemp became a tool to subjugate the population as a whole. Um, another, uh, to talk more upon the, the racism and the slavery side of it, I mean, industrial hemp fell, production fell in Kentucky because of the cotton gin, because the majority of the hemp in Kentucky was, was used to produce the cotton bags that the slaves used to pick the cotton. So, um, I, I mean, there's a lot of negative stuff with industrial hemp that we could go into it as well, but I think the end of the day is what happened for us now with industrial hemp is it is, it is surrounded by a massive group of people with the biggest hearts and the best of intentions for what this plant could do for humanity and for lifting us all up and, and just elevating the, the greatness that the planet has to give us that we've just kind of neglected as, as that law was passed and we moved further away from this regenerative green economy.
Right, we'll take one more question, then we're going to cut it off just because we got to take the farm tour, and I know everybody wants to do the taste of hemp. So, wow, mom, you can ask. All right, Jeff, you want to ask a question? I want to ask a question. Okay, I'll let you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to video this. This is for Colleen and Nick, though, right? What is the most important and effective thing that everybody sitting in this room right now and on Facebook, where I'm about to post this, mm -hmm. that they can do to get involved to help? with the hemp movement and help with the economy and the farmers and everybody. If y'all could just talk about that a little bit and let people out there know what they can be doing to help out. I'll go first. So it's Hemp History Week. It's time to go out into your uh, retail stores and, and find the hemp products in there and you've got to buy them. You've got to in, incorporate that into your um, daily food regimen. You can take hemp products you can put them on your salad. You can be using hemp seed oil. You can use it on your skin. You can also use it on your salad as well. You can use it to drizzle over vegetables. It's time to start incorporating hemp into your life so that you can become a consumer and vote with your dollars. That helps the companies that are part of my association, the Hemp Industries Association. Um, we need more resources, and these companies give of their, of their, their um, funding back to this campaign to help us move things forward, and we need more people to buy hemp products and choose them. Um, you can find them uh, in Whole Foods, Sprouts, but you can also find them in places like Publix. I've even found them in Kroger and some of those more mainstream uh, retailers out there that have hemp hearts on the shelves in their natural section. So go find those products and try them. We want people to know what uh, these products can do for them. And of course, um, you know, there's Dr. Bronner's soap out there, and everyone should treat themselves to some peppermint Dr. Bronner's soap. I mean, that is something really special I think everybody should try. It's very invigorating, and it has hemp seed oil in it. And, um, and if, if, if all else fails, I think without a doubt you would enjoy the soap for sure. So choose have products, go out there, find them, identify with them, and, and make a purchase. And we hope we can continue making that purchase because we need to drive that market. And locally, Earth Fair and French Broad Co-op are participating, so go support them. Yeah, so if you want to find out where to buy hemp, by the way, Hemp History Week website has uh, a list of retailers that are participating, offering specials, that type of thing. Uh, Kristen just mentioned a couple here locally, but uh, go to hemphistoryweek.com and you can find out more there. So I would say, uh, to add to Colleen's uh, comments, that one of the most important things is to get to educate yourself about what hemp is, what it's not, what you can do with it, all the different products that are out there, and then share what you've learned with your friends and your family. Education is so critical uh, because there's so much misinformation. We've been talking about people that have maybe the wrong idea about hemp. They either, you know, when I started out, people either, you know, you said the word hemp, they either thought rope or they thought dope. And that was just, <laughs> and so you had to educate. Oh, hold on, no, it's not, you know, yeah, you can make the rope with it, and that's a good thing, but it does a lot more than that. So I think education, and then obviously the opportunity to share that education with your legislators. Send them a letter, make a call, visit their office, educate them to state legislators, uh, the federal ones as well. So that would be my thing. Like, you know, you have? Know your farmer. <laughs> All right, let's give these folks a big round. And for those of you in the media, if, if you want to come find me, I can schedule some more time with any of these folks up here if you want to ask them some more extensive questions.
I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the IHAMP Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash Revolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.